0: Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: Welcome to Season 18, Week 3 of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data of video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. So, for the first hour, we're going to talk about college hockey, um, we're happy to bring in, uh, once again, as Mike McMahon, senior writer and correspondent for the College Hockey News. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me again.
1: Well, let's talk about the Big Ten first in terms of the preview. And I know I had the opportunity to read your guys' preview on College Hockey News. If anybody doesn't read it, they're crazy because always you guys always produce great work. And the consensus primarily was between you know the staff is that there's going to be this battle between... Minnesota and Notre Dame. And Notre Dame has this traditionally hard defensive oriented team that can counterattack and just drive teams nuts for the most part. And then Minnesota has the, these high level offensive players. And from that perspective, I understand that. But also, then I look at Minnesota's back end and I think they have the best defenseman in college hockey in Brock Faber. Like, he, you could throw him out against anybody, any line in the country, and ask him to shut it down. He'll go okay, because he can. Like he's the best defensive defensiveman I've seen as a prospect, probably since Mark Edward Vlasic when he was with San Jose. Like that's where I think his upside is. But then you look at, you know, Ryan Chesney just jumped on board of that defense, and Ryan Johnson and Jackson LaCombe, and we could go on. So I don't know, like. Does Notre Dame or any other team in the Big Ten have enough overall power to get through Minnesota? I think Min- the only way I think Minnesota ends up losing is Minnesota.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I I could certainly see that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know they've they have a good mix. I I really like their D, like you said. I really like their forwards. I mean, I think I think you're going to see an explosion from some of their players this year offensively too. Uh, whether it's you know Jimmy Snuggerud, who's already kind of had that. He's got four goals in four games, and Matthew Nyes was terrific last year down the stretch. And with Faber, I mean, I think you saw what you're talking about with Faber. We saw that at the end of last year, like the second half of last year, yeah. especially in the NCAA tournament. He was lights out. Like he was lights out. Um, I, I think he's only gonna continue to get better. Uh there's from a firepower standpoint, like I think I think Michigan can score with Minnesota. Uh, if if it gets into a shootout, I, I don't know that that they're as good defensively and in goal as Minnesota right. is, though. That that's to me the biggest thing that differentiates them. You no, know,
1: and absolutely true. And so from that respect, you think that's Minnesota is one. Notre Dame is two. You know, from that respect, Michigan is three. And then is there any other challengers in the big 10 that could even try to like scare them a little? Cause there's sometimes there's always an upstart team, but as yeah. I was looking through the rosters, I just didn't see where, was there, an, were there players that I thought could make a jump that was or not one, but multiple players on those teams to cause that type of like, you know, upset in that respect. I just didn't see it. And college hockey kind of goes in cycles that way.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think Ohio state's close, uh, but I mean, they're, they're clearly tier two, uh, you know, behind those top teams, but I mean, they could make some noise for sure. Uh, You know, I think Penn state's a, a team that has some exciting players, but again, like they don't have, they can't match what a Minnesota or a Michigan has right now. I think Michigan State in the future might get there. Like they've done a pretty good job recruiting, but it's not going to be for a couple immediate. years. Yeah, it's not going to be anything immediate. So like those teams are all kind of a, you know, a step a step away from those top teams at least right now. Uh, I do think you know Ohio State can make some noise. I do think a Penn State can make some noise. There's going to be nights where, especially Penn State, the way that they play and where the talent they have, there's going to be nights where they just put up six goals because they've got the ability to do that. Um, But also. There's going to be nights where you sit there and go, like, Wow, this team doesn't know, like, the teams look like they know what they're doing. <laughs> right. Know, like, just, I don't know that they're going to have the consistency that, uh, La- the, the they, top, I think top
1: they, they may lack that structure that they need. There's a little bit yeah. more loose and running gun, and they can get caught in transition, and yeah. you're going to get that track meet type of game, which you, which teams like, you know, Minnesota or Michigan can do. But then, you know, when you got Minnesota, sure, they could run that track meet, but, but then they have the guys on the back end just to say, okay, we've had enough of this.
2: Yeah. Minnesota is <laughs> a team that I think they're just, they're that team that can beat you in a number of different ways. They can win a two to one game. They can win a six to five game. I mean, they they can beat you in a, in a number of different ways, which is what makes teams dangerous, especially late in the year. Uh, you know, I don't think that they're system dependent or style dependent, like, no matter how the game takes shape, they have a chance because they've got the horses to go score six, seven goals if they need to. Uh, They've got the D and the goaltending to only give up one if they have to. I mean, they really are competitive no matter how the game takes shape.
1: To me, I just, I, I keep going back to that defense in Minnesota and uh, like, no, I'm not the biggest proponent of always having, you have to have a number one, a great D you can win. You can do that by committee on defense. Yeah. But, I think really having Brock Faber there as that lead horse, like he could legitimately play 28, 30 minutes a game if he has to. And he's shown it. Like when he played, you know, for internationally for USA, he was by far their best defenseman. And I know there's other guys who have more talent offensively, but I just thought he just does such a great job of taking taking away time and space. And I think sometimes, you know, guys like Jackson Lacombe get sort of underrated. And then, you know, Johnson is such an excellent skater. And then Ryan Chesney's going to come in and, like, demand some minutes. Yeah. So they're going to have some – more. actually, they may end up having problems like, getting these guys enough minutes just because there's enough talent in that respect. So can – where does Notre Dame – where can, like, yes, they play a really strong, structured game, but where you think in their – or in that team can – they overcome that dual balance of Minnesota.
2: You know, I I think they're a team that they are structured, but I do think they have the ability uh, to score, again, at a pretty high rate. Like Jackson Pearson, a grad transfer from UNH, is a smaller player. Right. Prototypical smaller, faster forward who can score a lot of points. Uh, They got a defenseman from Bentley and Drew Bavaro, who had a really good year last year, and can transition the puck really, really well. Uh, I think he is going to be asked to do more defensively in the Jeff Jackson system than probably Bentley was asking him to do as far right. as coverage in the D zone. But, you know, as far transition transitioning the puck, I mean, he, he was an animal last year uh, in terms of transitioning from defense to offense and getting the puck moving back up the other way. Uh, Ryder Rolston's also a really good player too who can score some points. So I, I think if, for, for a team like Notre Dame, they, I think they need to stay within that structure. Like they have to play that that structured system in order to slow down some of the more high-powered offenses, like it's going to be tough for them. As, as much as I think they're a pretty good scoring team, and they've got some offensive talent there. It's going to be hard for them to win a shootout against the Minnesota and the Michigan. Right? right. <laughs> if for so them, both teams it, to do that. <laughs>
1: right? Is for them? Is it? It's for Notre Dame? Is it the race to three goals?
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think yeah. for them too, it's like it's that it's that structured style of let's slow those teams down. Let Let's do the best we can to slow them down and, and try to win that three to two game. You know, yeah. force them into playing a little more structured and a little more in the and just give them a tougher time in the middle of the rink. Don't let those Michigans and those Minnesotas fly up and down the sheet and let it be a track meet. Notre Dame has the ability to do that for sure. Uh it's easier said than done a lot of nights, especially against those teams, but uh, they definitely have the ability to do that. Yeah, that's what
1: I'm I'm really interested about this Big Ten is watching that those top two, top two, top three teams, then what happens with that second tier, right? Because yeah. like sometimes, you know, we may underestimate a team and you had mentioned that in Ohio State, like maybe, you know, there's enough in that group. And then by the end of the year, all of a sudden they're causing some upsets or you get into a one and done situation and they surprise a team. So that's what I'm always intrigued with in that respect when it comes to the big 10. So at the end of the day, do you and I both think that it's, it's Minnesota's really like it's theirs and the only way they're losing it is because they don't match what their talent level yeah. and abilities are
2: yeah and and like you said too i mean with some of those other teams especially a team like ohio state uh with jacob dovesh and goal who right like a 935 save percentage as a freshman in a one and done situation could he come up against a team like minnesota and make 45 saves and you win a game two to one despite getting out shot 46 to 20 yeah right he could right you know he's got that ability especially a team like ohio state because of the goaltender
1: right and that's what makes it really interesting for me overall and that's why i'm intrigued by watching what happens and transpires in the big 10 so but we're going to take a short break on hockey prospect radio we come back we'll continue to talk about college hockey right after these important messages
0: You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We're back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering a large video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to talk about college hockey with Mike McMahon, senior writer for College Hockey News. Let's talk a little bit about the NCHC. And, of course, Denver won national championships. Um, I fully expect they'll probably be number one, or you sort of expect that. Um, and then they have some challenge. Um, I'm curious to see what St. Cloud State does. Uh, I'm curious to see, you know, what Minnesota Duluth does. Look, and we had this conversation off air. It's a Scott Sandlin coach team. and you And like you said, you looked at the roster. I'm like, I don't even know who half these guys are but it's a Scott Sandlin coach team. Right. And he finds a way to get the most out of his players. Because I think he's, what he's really great at is, okay, what are these players really good at? We'll worry about the weaknesses as throughout the year, but I'm going to put them in positions to be successful, which increases their confidence, which helps their development. And like, that's where I think he's so dangerous. Cause I look at, you know, who's going to challenge Denver in that respect. And then it's, The only one really there from like that you would look at it on paper is North Dakota. Mm -hmm. Right. So from your perspective, sort of break down that it's very similar to what we talked about in the Big Ten is there's two teams up there that are going to battle. Then who's going to come and try to knock them off their perch? So it's North Dakota versus Denver in that kind of like that grudge match up top.
2: Yeah, and I think Duluth is right there. Uh, like we were saying, we were saying off air. I wrote something this morning. I, that's exactly what I wrote. I was like, "Geez, you look at their roster, and it's like, I'm not even sure I know who half these guys are." But then you look at their history, and it's like, "Well, you know, Scott Sandlin. All he's done is take teams to the NCAA tournament eight years in a row. Right? And it doesn't matter who's there; they figure it out. You know, it's kind of like UMass Lowell and Hockey East in some respects right. too. Although yes. Lowell hasn't yeah. been as consistent as Duluth. Uh, they've been pretty consistent, but yeah, I mean, they're just they're right there at the end of the year every year. Every year, even in a year like last year where they had some ups and downs, and you weren't really sure what Duluth was going to look like, they still found a way to get there. You know, they still found a way to get there. So, uh, I I have a hard time counting them out uh, across the board. You know, until proven, yeah. other, I feel like they're in that spot where, like, hey, until proven otherwise, you have to expect them to be one of the top teams in that league. I agree with you. I think it's North Dakota and Denver on paper here at the start uh, that look like the two strongest teams. They definitely have the strongest top ends for sure, uh, but Duluth is right there, and and I, I think that they're deep. The, the biggest question for them is going to be in goal, you know. I, and I don't even right. think they know what their goaltending situation is going to look like yet. Uh, they've started two guys so far: Zach Stechko, who's a returner, uh, and also Matthew Teeson, who's a transfer from Miami. So they've they've got to figure that out for sure. It's obviously, it's a pretty important position, but uh, they've they've they got a deep roster. And it's a Scott Sandlin coach team. So I have to think they're going to be there at the end of the year. Um, and right. then I, and then I, like I said, I agree with you. I think I think North Dakota and Denver, you know, at least on paper here at the start are by far the two strongest teams.
1: When you look at Denver, how much does that impact when you lose a couple players like Savoy, you lose Brink. Like that's a lot of firepower up top, particularly in clutch situations. You can look at guys who have offensive talent. But some players have that ability to score when it's absolutely critical and the team is, you know, they're clenching, they're pulling the sticks real tight and everybody's nervous and they just go out and make things happen. Do they have guys who can help replicate that from last year? Because I think that is the biggest different difference between this year's team and last year's team.
2: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, I, I do think they've got some guys that can do that. You know, I think Connor Missouri is a guy that can definitely do that. Uh, you know, I think like Tristan Braz, a transfer from Minnesota, is another right. guy who has the potential to, to develop into that type of player. I don't know that he's there yet, but he's got that potential to, to develop into that type of player. Uh, and then, you know, what I really look at with Denver this year is I don't know. I don't think that they're going to be able to replace all that firepower. So I think what's going to happen is a lot of it's going to fall on their defense. A lot of it's going to fall on Magnus Crona to help shorten that gap a little bit. Hey, we lost 30 goals, whatever it was, 40 goals. We're not going to make up all 40 of them. Maybe we can make up 25 and we got to allow 15 less, something like that. I think it's going to have to be a mix. And quite frankly, I I think it's going to be uh, a number of guys who step up. It's, you know, they're, they're I think what they're looking for is the development from six or seven guys to bridge the gap with the the two guys, the big guys that they really lost. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, Two or three more goals out of six guys gets them to that level where they were a year ago. Uh, Cause I don't know that there's that one guy on here that you're going to look at and go, okay, well, he's just going to go from, you know, he's going to go from 15 points to 40 points this year. I don't think that they have a guy like that on the roster.
1: So then we look at North Dakota and then from that respect, how are they going to be able to hand, like? I know every year teams lose high end players, but then there's high end players, and then there's these elite players that come around maybe once every five or six or seven years that can really change your opportunity to win a national championship. You know, and North Dakota's lost a few of those guys. So, you know, although they're a very strong team, how do you sort of overcome that? Is that a similar situation where? you know, that Denver's going through is like, okay, we have to like help push these guys up another rung or do they have just have a little bit more, like, do they have enough push to knock off Denver? I think Denver is given the number one seed there yeah. because they're the national, they were the national champions and you sort of like until proven otherwise they're there, but I don't know. Like if it was, if I'm looking at it, I kind of go with North Dakota with this kind of sneaky suspicion that, you know, the that Sandlin's going to pull his guys up by the bootstraps and find a way to get in there.
2: North Dakota's done a very good job in trying to fill some of those gaps with going into the transfer portal. Right. Uh, and they've they've especially done it in the goaltender position and on defense. I mean, Drew DeRitter's is a transfer from Michigan State who was good last year for a, a team that wasn't very good. You know, yeah. I think you put him on a good team like North Dakota, and I think you're going to see him take a big jump this year. And look at their defense, too. Uh, A lot of these guys are transfers. Chris Jandrick is a transfer. Ty Farmer is a transfer. He's won a lot of games at UMass. Uh, Tyler Clevin's back. He's he's really good. You know, they're really built. North Dakota, to me, is a team that's built from the net out. And they're strong from the net out. They're really strong in goal. I think they're really strong on defense. They're going to require, I think, some younger guys. To chip in offensively, like I, I think they're hoping a guy like a Jackson Blake can come in and, and make a, an impact as a freshman, uh, and I think they got some sophomores too that they're going to be looking at to try to make big jumps. But I really, I, I think they're a team that's built really solidly on on at goaltender and really solidly on defense, and they're going to be looking for some younger guys to chip in up front. Well, look
1: at it also from it like we talk about the transfer, and we talked about it in length last year about how is that going to play out, and then you look at this division. And then I look at it. Okay, if you're a player and you're willing to put yourself into transfer, and you have and you're eyeing like the top three teams of certain conferences, that's why I think sometimes this is a benefit to those North Dakotas and Denvers and you know UMD because they know these players know that they're always highly competitive, and if I can jump on board with a good team like maybe two or three of us jump in there, then all of a sudden we're we're a potentially great team, which is we thought this may happen. When yeah. we talked about it last year, that this could be an unfair advantage to a lot of the teams that are, you know, struggle to recruit.
2: Uh, it's going to be a back and forth thing, I think, too, because uh, we, we are seeing that a little bit for sure. North Dakota is a good example of it. Uh, and I think we're seeing it the other way with some teams too like i look right. at a team like arizona state who is an independent uh and they you know they benefited i think from some teams who probably recruited nine or ten top six forwards right but only six of them can play <laughs> right and it doesn't mean that the 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 three that aren't or the three or four that aren't in the top six aren't very good they're top six forwards on like 55 other teams right, right? But just on their team, they're not. So they're going to look for that role somewhere else. And I look at that like with the Jackson Twins. Like, no, uh, Arizona State went out and got the Jackson Twins out of the transfer portal. Good players. Right. Lucas Sillinger at Bemidji State. Good players. Like they they were able to to kind of benefit. Uh, and even the team that I I mean I cover uh, Merrimack for the, the 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 Eagle Tribune, the, the newspaper out here, and, and they benefited from it the last couple of years too. Grabbing a guy like a like a Steven Jandrick from Denver who yeah. went there from Alaska, ended up on the third or fourth line, but was a top six forward at Merrimack and exploded at 25, 30 points last year. So mm-hmm. it does kind of go in in in, in both ways a little bit, uh, but we're, we're, you're really seeing a team like North Dakota who's been able to go in and, and fill their gaps.
1: Right, uh, really well. Guys, yeah.
2: yeah, guys that leave early. Uh, hey, if we don't have a recruit, if we don't have a freshman recruit who's ready to come in here, we can go out and get a Drew DeRitter who's played 100 college hockey games in the Big Ten to come be our goaltender, even if it's only for a year and it bridges us to get to the next guy, that's where I think a lot of teams are, are having a lot of success with finding those those seniors and those grad students to just get you to their, get you to the next guy. Or, or right. We have this guy, we have this freshman, he's not ready yet, we think he needs another year in the USHL. He can stay there now because we can go pluck this guy and plug him in for a year.
1: We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Right? We'll come back and continue to talk about college hockey right after – These important messages.
0: Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad
1: Allen. We're back and brought to you by Instat Hockey, with the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to speak with Mike McMahon, senior writer for the College Hockey News, about the college hockey preview as uh, we see it. Let's uh, get into Hockey East. Now, normally, you know, we generally end up, you know, focusing on, you know, the Boston universities and the Boston colleges and the ones and, and the teams that tend to recruit those high-end, you know, 18-year-old kids coming out of the program in Michigan. But really this year, as, as you guys see it, and I happen to agree with you, it's it's really Northeastern. That's sort of like, okay, we're the team to beat and enough of this, you know, Lowell making a jump and causing, you know, and winning, winning a bu- bunch of games and, you know, making a run and we're tired of BU and BC. And, you know, every time there is, you know, they have the bean pot, like recently, you know, Northeastern has won, but for the longest time, you know, they were kind of like that third team not including obviously the ECAC teams in the Boston area and now i think it's finally their time to sort of like take over and we talked about it last year about BU and BC having some problems having so many young kids on their roster and these one and duns and two and duns and then these other teams and universities being able to recruit these players that are already 20 coming out of junior a and then all of a sudden you got these 21 22 year olds 23 year olds playing against 18 year olds and the eight-year-olds doesn't matter how you know, skilled they are; they just can't compete. It yeah. gets bigger, stronger, faster.
2: Yeah, and, and it's funny. Like I, I, I think Northeastern is a team to beat. Uh, I think BU is going to nip at their heels a little bit because of the fact that the first time in a long time, BU has ten seniors on their roster. Yeah, It doesn't usually happen to BU. No, no, that's rare. <laughs> we have ten seniors on their roster. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, with Northeastern, you're looking at what I think is the best goalie in the country, and Devon Levi. You've got a guy who's going to be right up there as a Hobie candidate, Nathan McDonough, who came back. Right. A lot of people weren't even sure if he was going to come back. Gunnar Wolf-Fontaine has been a monster offensively. Jack Hughes really came into his own, was a complete monster at the end of the year, last year, offensively. Uh, nobody talks about – I feel like you know the, the poor guy that gets forgotten all the time is Sam Colangelo. It's like, oh, he's right. only a second-round pick. Right, right. <laughs> uh, they're They're loaded. They're loaded. They are absolutely loaded uh both offense. I mean they're going to miss they're going to miss Jordan Harris on defense, but I still think their D's really really strong. Um I know that that some people get frustrated with the number of penalties he takes. I happen to think J- Jaden Struble's a difference maker back there on D for them. So do I. You know, they're yeah. just <laughs> they're, they're going to be a machine I think this year in Hockey East. And again, it starts with they, they got really good players up front. It starts with the goaltender. They have the best yeah. goaltender in college hockey and that that take, I mean that alone gets you a long way.
1: Right. No, I agree hundred percent. And that's where where I'm looking at the separation between the teams. And and you had mentioned obviously, you know, BU with the 10 seniors and nipping at their heels, is how do you disrupt that goaltending? And they but also their defense is so very good about boxing out and then getting that puck out of their zone. I think that's the two things. Like once it's in the zone, they're really good about boxing out and their their forwards are pretty good about making sure that their support. Uh, but I think their retrievals on defense make the difference for Levi because he doesn't have to very often face multiple big, you know, grade A scoring chances on a regular basis. When he does, he shuts the door. Yeah. But I think the, the system, sometimes a goaltender and the system are a perfect match. And I think in this respect with Northeastern, I think Levi and the system are a perfect match.
2: Yeah, I think it was the same thing too, and a lot of people get upset when you say this because it's not—you're not taking the credit away from the from the guy, but no. I think Dryden McKay and Minnesota State was the same thing. You know, they—they right. were—they just—they matched perfectly together. Uh, yeah, it's—they're really hard to play against in their own end, and and they were last year too. And and a guy like Struble's a big reason why. Like when you have a big, tough, physical guy like that in front of the net, right. moving bodies around you you need traffic if you're going to beat levi you need a lot of traffic in front of the net and it's hard to get traffic when you get Jaden Struble there you know just punching you over and over again right (laughs) until you get out of the way like he makes he makes life difficult in front of the net uh so it's they're really you've got to get traffic there i think that's the only way you're really because you got to take his eyes away levi is so good if he sees the puck he's going to stop it yeah 99 times out of 100 if he sees the puck he's going to stop it so uh, you got to try to get traffic there you got to take try to take his eyes away and their their d is big and strong and tough and, and it's hard to do that with the, with in front of the net because their their d is just so strong but it's it's the only way i think it's the only way
1: right and you look at it from their respect as well like smaller forwards don't like to go in there so you, yeah. it's gonna have to be a bigger team so when i ask that is like what about massachusetts like they're sort of like the third team in that group and obviously i think it would I'm. I agree with you that BU is number two, but does Mass have enough to overcome those two teams? It seems like there's just a couple missing elements. Like, it's unfortunate because I think if they could have like maneuvered through that transfer portal and sort of like shored up a couple pieces, then I think. But they're a good team too. Like yeah. they're a good team.
2: Yeah, I I think UMass. I mean, to me, UMass is a team that's probably going to go low to high a lot because they've got Scott Morrow and Ryan Occo right. back there on defense who can provide a lot of offense. So if you're getting the puck deep and then going low to high and flooding traffic in front, that could work. And I think they got some guys that can be effective at the front of the net. Cal Kefuke is one, Lucas McCurry is one, uh, You know, Josh Nodler is another one. So they've, they've got some guys there that can play that type of game. Tyson Dick from the BCHL. Right. I know I, I, a lot of people just raved about him last year when he committed to UMass. I uh, thought he could be a big-time player right away. So I think they do. I think they 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 can make some noise to me. It's like I think Northeastern is the number one, and then I think BU, Providence, and UMass are the next three in some sort of order. Right. Um, and I throw Providence in there too, only because they won twenty two games last year and right. they return almost everybody. Like their top six scores all return. They had a lot of contributions, especially on the back end last year from defensemen who you would expect to take another step uh they lost Jackson Jackson Stalbert at graduation but they bring in Philip Speeder back who's a drafted NHL goalie looks pretty good so far uh in one game, short sample size only handful a couple of games but has looked really good so far and look, played really well in the USHL last year so they're that they're the other team in there with BU and with um, and, and with UMass that I would put in there is like the the, the next 3 that will be I think challenging Northeastern for the top spot in the standings. And, and those are the four in hockeys that I think are, are the top four for sure.
1: Do you think Providence is the wild card team of those three that has the best opportunity to kind of come in and maybe knock Northeastern off the pedestal because of that consistency of all the players they have returning and that momentum being built and moving forward? Because anytime I see that number of players coming back says to me okay there's going to be continuity uh, there's going to be familiarity and they're going to understand what they need to do in terms of their structure and that there's going to there is a target and the target's northeastern right yeah. and they may be the one team of those 3 that sort of gets maybe left out um you know cuz i tend to find the boston oriented teams tend to get most of the publicity and that's because they're obviously in boston and then you know providence is still over on the side although they do have a great rank i love it um i think they're that one team that maybe you know as we talked about with you know about a scott sandlin coach team is that providence team could be that team that go maybe they're a little bit overlooked and then by the end of the year they just sort of like that fast momentum train
2: yeah, and, and I think they're very similar to what we talked about with Duluth earlier, too. Like, it's a right. main league coach team. Right. <laughs> and their staff includes Ron Rolston, like another guy who's coached the NHL. Like right. Really good coaching staff. So uh, I, I think that those guys find a way to get the best out of their players on a pretty consistent basis. Uh, and when you've got a number of returning guys coming back like that, that's when – the, the really strong Providence teams of the past when they won the national title, when they were strong again in the years afterwards, it was when they had a team like this that returned a lot of top players from the previous year. They were maybe not senior heavy, but, but junior heavy uh, and and had a lot of guys that contributed and contributed from when they were fra- it was, like, it was a process. They, they right. come in and they're young and they've got a team that's kind of loaded with freshmen and sophomores in prime spots for, for a little bit. and And then it moves along. And when those guys get to that junior year, Uh, that's when they really step up. And that's what I see with Providence this year. I see a lot of sophomores and a lot of juniors who should be contributing in big roles. And that's what I think is going to make them dangerous.
1: We're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We're going to continue to talk about college hockey and Hockey East right after these important messages.
0: Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We're back for our final segment of college hockey preview with Mike McMahon, the college hockey news, senior writer. Let's chat about the ECAC. And so for this segment, I put on my colors, my Harvard hat, um, because I did uh, go to school there briefly. Uh, And one of the things I'm really interested in, like, of course, we talked about it, you know, off air is the battle between Harvard and Quinnipiac. And I give Quinnipiac a lot of credit When I lived out West in BC and I'd be traveling in the BC Hockey League and Alberta Junior Hockey League, I saw somebody from Quinnipiac all the time. And I think they just do a very good job, if not excellent job at recruiting out of the BC Hockey League and Alberta Junior Hockey League, you know, over the last 10 years. And I think that just helps them sort of supplement that offense. And they find players that want to come to Quinnipiac that maybe, you know, other you know, other teams in the ECAC don't maybe get as many recruits out of there. And that sort of really helps fill those gaps. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think Quinnipiac is always in that top three of the ECAC. They're always battling if they're not one or two. Um, and I give them a lot of credit for that.
2: It's smart. I mean, I think just geographically kind of where they are, it's hard. I mean, if you're right. trying to compete in the new England area and recruiting, you're competing. Good luck. BC and B- yeah. I mean, BC, BU, Harvard. I mean, uh, the big Boston schools, and, and even in even in the Connecticut area, I mean, a lot of those Connecticut kids are still trying to go to hockey schools. Can, you know, UConn's made a lot of strides recruiting Providence, uh, is in there uh, in like, yeah, Providence you know, is right. old, yeah.
1: like it's it, tough. It's,
2: there's a lot of competition locally for a team like Quinnipiac. So, I think it's smart. Uh, you can't tell me that there's not a lot of really good hockey players in Western Canada. There are.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. So, we got tons of them. Right. And that's yeah. why we have so, the Western league and like junior a leagues.
2: Exactly. So I, I think it's smart. I, I think teams like, like a Quinnipiac and, and, and a lot of those teams in the East that have said, you know what? I'm not, we're not giving up on it completely. Like we're going to try to compete locally and recruit players locally, but we have to, we have to really uh, spend a lot of our attention in other areas where, we're not competing against kids who were BC fans growing up and that's where they want to go. They want to go to BC. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I couldn't, cause Quinnipiac, I mean, they're still on the younger side as a program in terms of like, you know, I, I'm sure not a lot of kids are, are watching college hockey growing up as a kid and going like, wow, my dream is to go to Quinnipiac. You know, it's just, it's not there yet. No, um, cause it's only been really strong for a decade.
1: Right. But they've yeah. had that momentum. Like they've been in that top two, Tier one or two for almost a decade from that respect, and that's where I think the college hockey kids and the family advisors look at that and go, Look, like if you're like you have the grades and you're going to go to the ECAC, Quinnipiac gets a lot of eyeballs from NHL teams, and they are always highly competitive, they're going to be one of the top teams. So, if you want to win in the ECAC and get an education. I understand it's a top end destination now, and yes. we couldn't say that twelve, thirteen, fifteen years ago.
2: No, 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 no. Uh, and I still like, like in the New England area, it's they're still going up against the kids that sit there and go, "Well, I want to play in the Beanpot. I want to go to BU. I want to go to BC. I want to go to Harvard." Right. You know, it's 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 hard. And and with some of these Eastern teams that have also made strides in the last ten years, along with Quinnipiac, like the same time that Quinnipiac has had their rise, so has Providence, so has Northeastern
1: right exactly it just it makes it continues even harder. to get harder yeah <laughs>
2: like it, it continues to get harder so going out in other places whether it's quebec where they went out and found their goalie or western canada where they found plenty of players i think it's what teams in their position should be doing it's smart and, and it's, they've proven to have success with it over and over and over again so
1: talk about that battle between harvard and quinnipiac and what the separation between those two teams are going to be um i think if it was me I might give the edge to Quinnipiac, but, you know, it's hard for me to say that wearing a Harvard hat, but, you know, you try to be objective on your show, on your own show, but I just, Quinnipiac's one of those teams that seems to always find a way, you know, and I think a lot of that comes from the culture and and the coaching staff of how they prepare their players.
2: Yeah. You know, I think at least on paper, I think Harvard is more talented talented, for sure. Uh, They've got, you know, I, I like Jack Barr in defense a lot. Obviously, they got Matthew Coronado. Uh, they've got a lot of guys. I mean, several, several NHL picks. Alex LaFerriere. Right. Uh, I mean, they just so many. I mean, there's like do- a dozen or more NHL picks on their roster. So on paper, they are the stronger team. But I think systemically, Quinnipiac plays their style very well. I mean, it's it's kind of very similar to what we were talking about with a Lowell uh, or, or a or a Duluth or a team like that, right. where they, they they just play their style so well, they can be really hard to play against. And just because they're not better on paper doesn't mean that they can't beat a Harvard, you know, on, on right. any given night, and beat anybody on any given night, because they can shut you down. And again, like with Levi, they get the really good goaltender behind them, which makes it even harder. Like it's, it's harder to get to their net as it is. You know, I think last year they were like 20 shots a game or less. Most games, they were giving up under 20 shots a game. So it's hard enough to get pucks to their net because they just suffocate you. Uh, and when you do, they get a guy who's, top two or three in the country back there stopping the pucks in the crease so you know good luck scoring goals even even a Harvard team that's so good on paper and so talented on paper it's hard it's really hard to get pucks in the net when you're playing Quinnipiac
1: I'm curious to get your thoughts on Clarkson as that third team and you know so I'll give a little shout out to Craig Conroy because that's his alumni and Clarkson hasn't been honestly very good for a long time they've been kind of in that mushy middle and I'm kind of wondering, are they that team that can nip at the heels a little bit of Quinnipiac and Harvard? And have they recruited well enough? And do they have enough, I guess, structured talent? But versatility, for me, like that's what Quinnipiac has. They have a lot of versatility. Guys can play in a lot of different situations. Does, do you think Clarkson's overall roster has enough versatility to play in a bunch of different ways to make up for maybe the lack of overall talent that, say, a Harvard has in their respects?
2: I, I, I do, I, I don't think, I mean, if you look at their results from this past weekend, it, they don't stand out for sure. I mean, they lost to right. uh, lost to UNH and they lost to Merrimack both games at home. Not a good way to start the year. But I think, again, on paper, they bring back a lot of guys who are experienced, their goaltenders experience, like they, and Casey Jones has been at it for a long time and a lot of those guys right. have played together for a while. Uh, I, I do think that they, I, I do, that. I think that's, that there's something there. And I think that the reason why, Josh Hauge was hired by Union out of Clarkson, is because people around college hockey are recognizing, hey, there's something here about this Clarkson team. They're finding a way to be competitive. It's the same reason Brett Brecky was hired at Saint Lawrence as a head coach. Right. The yeah. reason why Adam nightingale went out and hired Mike Towns on his staff at Michigan State. He's <laughs> like, there's there's some sort of secret sauce going on here. They're finding ways to be competitive year in and year out. They haven't really gotten over the top of the mountain yet, or, or even reached the top of the mountain yet. But they seem to be like right there every year. And it's just they, they got to find a way to take that next step.
1: Well, and it's challenging for ECHC teams because they have issues in recruiting. Their players have to make grades. So, yeah. you know, their selection process is much, much slimmer comparative to the other teams in the other conferences. So that's there's that challenge on top of it. And then the other challenge that we've talked about in the past, uh, we have a couple minutes left, is that the college hockey teams don't get the same luxury of a staff as the football teams. Yeah. So they don't, are, are not allowed to have scouts. And considering how far you have to spread out to go look for players, like, because there's such a limited staff, how hard is it? Like you got to let one of your assistant coaches go to go look for players. And then you got to recruit players that have great grades and, you know, SAT scores. That's tough. And then that's where, I think teams in the ECAC would benefit the most if they could expand that staff just a little bit, couple people,
2: and that may be happening soon. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on with the NCAA right now, and and, and what Division One's going to look like in the future. And one of the things that's been brought up is unlimited staff. I mean, right now they're limited to three coaches and a director of hockey operations, and that hockey operations guy has limited limitations put on him. He can't recruit, he can't coach players. It's a weird thing where like he can't coach players on the ice. You can do video. You can coach players off the ice, but you can't coach them while they're on the ice. It's and race. then you
1: can't recruit. That doesn't make any sense. And you can't, can't scout. Can't right. But, because that'll change everything. If you could bring in two more staff members that can simply go out and scout and recruit, yes, that will change the landscape for
2: ECAC. Absolutely. And and that could again, that could be. It may not happen at all. It could also be a year away because uh, there's so much going on with Division One in the NCAA right now that no one. they're they're transforming a lot of rules and regulations. And and if unlimited stats comes into play, the teams that can afford it, the teams that can afford to hire more people, you're going to see teams can afford it. Yeah. Like they got the
1: alumni to be able to you know bankroll a couple salaries or two or three salaries to go out and just go recruit and scout. And that allows you to actually leave your coaches in like actually where they're supposed to be coaching your players. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know how, like that's novel right? And that's one of the things they really need to to button down. But Mike, thank you very much for coming on the show again. I always appreciate it. Great college preview so far. Can't wait to have you on the show again.
2: Sounds good. Thanks.
1: That's Mike McMahon, senior writer for the College Hockey News. We're going to take a short break and we'll jump into hour two right after these messages.
0: Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio,
1: your voice for prospect
0: news and analysis on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We're back and powered by Outside Edge Hockey, hockey player development at OutsideEdge.ca. So I'm happy to bring on a special guest, Dr. Norm O'Reilly, who along with Rick Burton, doctor as well, um, wrote a fantastic new book called "The uh, Business the NHL Way. Uh, lessons uh, from the fastest game on ice and what I was really intrigued with of course obviously because the business of hockey is near and dear to my heart and I have a master's degree in that area when the book came out and I heard you guys were doing it I just couldn't wait to get my hands on it and I was interested on how you guys broke these topics down and Norm First off, I just want to get into some of these topics that I found really interesting because I think sometimes the NHL head office, particularly Gary, gets a lot of bad press unnecessarily, and they really don't understand what happens behind the scenes. Um, and he seems to be almost a bad cop in that respect, and he he, he handles it with like grace um, and some humor, which I really appreciate. So when it came to like the first topic I wanted to ask you when I was reading through your book was you put him in, into really cool – little things, um, called Dropping the Puck, Leadership Essentials. And it's one of the things that I look at, you know, Gary Bettman obviously is the leader of the NHL and the face of the NHL. And I think he doesn't get enough credit for the things he does as a business leader in terms of, I don't think people understand how much the staff at the NHL head office love working for him. Like when I ask people, oh, do you like working at the NHL? No, I love working at the NHL. Do you like working for Gary? No, I love working for Gary. To me, that automatically piques my interest. Wait a minute. What is Gary doing and what is Bill Daly doing to elicit that type of response? Because like is rational, love is not really rational. So I'm like, wait a minute, what's happening here? And like, how, what did you see? What did you and Rick see and observe in your, and through your conversations that like showed really great leadership essentials that? people can learn from and take into their other businesses
3: yeah i mean shane it's a great it's great and your points are all well taken and the reason we kind of got into the book in the first place was kind of a money ball ilk but was like the nhl you know there's pros and cons as you know what's happening but there's a, no question it's been an unbelievable business success the last 30 years with gary as you mentioned at the helm gone from less than a half billion this year we're to hit six billion dollars in revenue almost certainly think of the outdoor games you think of the change of the game the copying the nfl cba all those wonderful things is that kind of that leadership essential story but then to go deeper and and like you i've got to know him and a little bit going on a lot of the nhl people they have almost no turnover tends to be the same people for very long periods of time. They've been growing their staff. I've had former students that have worked there. I know you're connected very well, too. It is, it is a really positive environment. And I think what we see, as you mentioned, with the negativity, and we write about this in the book, how he's very smart to ignore it from some Canadian fans and Northeastern U.S. fans with all the move to the southern states, we can be darn sure his ownership his bosses Love are him. extremely pleased their financial returns are exceptional they've continued to renew his contract at higher higher amounts year over year there's no question that he really got that like he understood who his audience was he understood how to grow the game and he cut his teeth at the nba really learned from the NFL and has created a, a really, a really dynamic success story. And I think, as you say, people really see that and, and want to work with someone who's going to be successful and generate great returns for all their, uh, their, uh, their clients.
1: Well, that's one of the things I, I look at the initial head office, and I'm glad you brought that up about the very little turnover. People have worked there for 20 and 30 years. And what I think Gary and, and Bill have done collectively as a leadership. Duo is they built trusting teams that, if they're in a, if they're, they have questions or they're overwhelmed or things are happening in their lives that that their managers and Gary and Bill it's going to be okay. They're going to be there to support them and that things will work out. And it's okay and, and in their case also it's okay to make mistakes. And I like leaders that say we're going to try things and sometimes they're not going to work and it's okay. Let's just try to figure out the best way to make this happen.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, and a number of the chapters, we'll get into this later, but a number of the chapters in the book are related to that, right? Trying things, outdoor games, globalization, new markets, non-hockey markets, like a lot of sports really stay away from that, smaller markets. I mean, there's been a success story in Winnipeg in the last you know, decade or so. So, I mean, you, you can go through across the board, esports, they've gotten into gambling. You look at the new merchandising, the, the revenue share, which really was hard with the owners of like the Leafs and the Red Wings and these big spenders. Hey, it's really worked, and now everybody's pretty happy. They're getting a significant rev share check every year. I mean, it's a pretty—you're yeah, it, right. It's pretty—it's a pretty exciting story to tell, and that's what we wanted to kind of dig into uh, with the book.
1: The other topic I want to touch on is winning the draw, and smart copycats can run with the big dogs. And this is where we talk about like the law of diffusion of innovation. Like, you don't have to be the innovator—that two and a half percent—but if you're far left where you are the early adopter. So you watch what everybody else is doing and you can cherry pick the best stuff that fits within your strategy and what you believe in as an organization and things that you can pivot quickly on. That's where I think the NHL doesn't get enough credit in that respect.
3: I really
1: think that the, maybe not the entire NHL, but the NHL head office, I think I would put them as early adopters because they're, they have a small enough staff where they can be mobile. And they can be pivot um, and they can get together and really brainstorm ideas. So I think they're great at copycatting and taking the best from outside industry, even if it's
3: non-sports. Exactly. And we tell that story. And the the favorite one I like to tell is it's the NFL. I mean, you know, a lot of fans think back to 2004, 2005 lost season in a bit and you know what does that do to ovechkin's records and all these kind of things you write about those pieces and a lost season and players didn't get salary a bunch of people are tired because they their fitness declined all those kind of stories but underneath it all they looked at what's the i mean you can look at all the sport entertainment organizations around the world and it's you know there's which is the best you can argue that but in terms of which is the most profitable there's almost no argument it's the nfl Period. They are a cash machine and, and their lowest performing franchise does very well. What did the NHL do? Like you just talked about, and they copycatted and the copy may be a strong word. And we say that in, in the book, but they looked very clearly at what does the NFL do in terms of its collective bargaining structure? And it's almost the same. If you look at the collective bargaining agreement, the NHL post lockout versus pre, it went from an MLB like right. document to an NFL like document. Huge hit. The rev share was low early on, but that inspired the league to change everybody to work together. Now all of a sudden they're happy to work together on the all-star game, the outdoor games, the Stanley cup playoffs, merchandise, esports, expansion. I mean, you go down the list, right? Cause everybody's benefiting now, not just a few individual clubs or individual groups. And wow, has it been a home run in terms of its outcome? So that was, there's a bunch, as you say in that chapter, but that was the big one we want to say, don't be afraid to look at who's, killing it in your field, see what they're doing, look under the hood, and maybe that'll work for you. And this is a great example of that.
1: Right. And that's why I'm a big believer in early adoption. Be the Mm -hmm. early adopter because innovation is not efficient and it's really expensive and it takes time. Mm -hmm. But when that process gets done by a variety of different industries, not just sports, you can look through a different uh, entertainment and find ways to be able to fit within your You know, your model. And I think one of the advantages for hockey when they were like you consider them maybe number four, but pushing into number three and trying to overtake baseball is because they were number four, they were allowed to take risks that perhaps the NFL and the NBA couldn't take. And I think that gave them a strategic advantage of understanding what are the risks that we can take in the future.
3: Yeah, agreed. Exactly. And then you, and you can see, and there's lots of these we write about, and you know all, all of these, obviously, Shane, but there's tons of risks that they've taken. You think about going into Tampa Bay, San Jose, Phoenix, and there's been some bumps. Nashville. And sure, a few of them are still like, oh, but there's a, like the Tampa Bay story, the San Jose Shark story, the Nashville story. These are vibrant, off the ice. I think of Columbus
1: was another one.
3: You know, I think Columbus, they, they did a great story. job in Columbus. And so these are all places that were non-traditional hockey markets, and then as you say, you get these, and they're willing to support creating. And we could go down the list, a number of things, the outdoor games, huge risk. What does it cost to put an ice in at a baseball field or a football field? Well, these have become destination events, and they've become new fan development events, because you have people that otherwise would never go and see this kind of unique experience, and you kind of pull them in. What about the Kraken and the Knights, right? The two new teams, and how right. cool they've marketed. They've gone way outside of the traditional names how you do it they've linked it so there's yeah we could go on and on and there are a lot of those in the book but yes risk has been calculated risk strategic risk has definitely been part of their success
1: and i think that's one thing the general media i think they've missed in that respect of what you're talking about is they they've missed that narrative and understanding of like the overall picture you sort of sometimes get caught in the day-to-day and you don't see oh look like everything has been strategic movements um from that respect from the from a league standpoint and of course, you know, Gary and Bill will both give credit to their entire staff. They have great, they, they say they have great staffs, but I think it always stems from leadership and that's where, you know, that leadership essential. And then it allows your staff to be, you know, to be those early adopters yeah, and yeah. it's, and they're comfortable in doing that. So I always find that interesting. We're going to take a short break on hockey prospect radio. We'll continue to talk about business, the NHL way with Dr. Norm O'Reilly right after these messages. <music>
0: You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back and powered by Outside Edge Hockey, hockey player development at outsideedge.ca. We're continuing to talk to Dr. Norm O'Reilly about his newest book, Business the NHL Way. Uh, I've already powered through it. i read it through in about four and a half days. So I'm a geek for this. So, But I implore everybody to go and get this book and understand it just helps you conceptualize business and why things are done and the lessons you can learn from the nhl i think sometimes we underestimate and underappreciate the business of the nhl and how things are done um we tend to be a little bit negative in hockey and we look at the nfl as the end-all be-all And I think we miss great lessons from that respect. And that's why I want to talk to you about, you know, topic number three is emerging trends and sort of appreciating history and your video games. Now, obviously I have a bias when it comes to the video games because Mm -hmm. I work for EA Sports and I have since 2006. And I think it's the gate it is. I think it is now is the new gateway for new fans, for young kids. It's no, it's not as much as playing the game on ice which is really important but not all kids get to do that it's an expensive sport to play but you can become a fan simply by playing a video game and that's how learn kids learn about scouting about coaching about like being a gm about playing the game about the rules so and then there's an opportunity for the nhl and its partners to help there's learning tools inside of this game so that's where i i'm really interested in like the history and then what are the sort of the emerging trends moving forward?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great comment on the video game thing, interestingly. Uh, so first, I mean, we've learned and we've talked about this in the book that playing and as you say, spectating are two different pathways. Right. So a lot of sport marketers make the mistake of thinking, oh, you got to play to watch or consume. Not true at all. In the NFL, you brought up greatest example. It's very they've got the, the most fan base in North America. Nobody Less plays. than one percent has ever played tackle football, and even those who play football, they might play a different form of the game. And then you go to the look at the go down to the New York City Marathon or the Toronto Marathon and ask every hundred finishers to name you who won the Olympic Marathon that year. You might get two in a hundred who could tell you who that was. They're, they're doing it for participation. So we like to have that piece. And so it's really interesting. And I got a chance when um, Hockey Quebec hosted an international summit in 2010, and they asked me to do this forecast of what's gonna happen with youth numbers in hockey. And it was interesting. So I did this forecast of declining participation rates in Canada, declining numbers of young people, Declining interest in hockey over other sports did it interesting, and then presented it was lovely. I got a call last summer from someone who works for a large a brand who sponsors hockey and said, "Hey, I was at that conference. I went and looked up the number, and you know what, Norm, you were right." I was like, "What?" And so, like, I went back and looked. And so all these things that happened So to your point, less and less kids are playing. That's happening in all sports except maybe soccer. Canadians are getting less active less kids are doing sport, all those kind of things. It's another challenge. I do a lot of work with participation. But what that does tell us is if you're a league and you're a team and you're like the NHL and you're going to these non-hockey markets, you have to find other ways to engage fans. And that's what we talked about there. And whether it's gambling, whether it's video games, whether it's esports, whether it's merchandising, whether it's linking to movies like Disney's done or Marvel and the Kraken you could argue have done, right. finding other ways to get that 12-year-old, that 17-year-old, who maybe knows how to skate, maybe doesn't, not really that keen to play a lot of hockey, to get them interested as well as those that are playing. And so this has been a really smart shift. And so you're seeing the proportion of the fans of NHL hockey who never played has been skyrocketing because all of these initiatives that you point out have really worked. And we tell that story in this chapter.
1: And I think that's really um, key, particularly for kids, because you've got to get them before fifteen, age of 15 to really like get them, I'm a hockey fan. And I think one of the things that and I have a gambling background as well, I used to work in the casino industry. Mm-hmm. And I think that's critical too, for once you become an adult, but for the kids is that entry is to me, it's the most important thing is they all play games. All kids do is that video game and find ways and tools to inside the game, to promote the game more and make them more of a fan. Like I want to see next step is you get young kids partnered up with NHL players playing again uh, with their favorite team against another kid and another NHL player and like rival them out and just have massive tournaments. I know they do the world championships and that's great, but I want more engagement of kids with the players against other kids and players. And, and, just, and, yeah. and it's more holistic from the ground up and to push up that way. Cause what kid wouldn't want to play beside an NHL player against another kid on a big, screen, like they would go bananas for it. These are the things I'm like, these are the next steps I think the NHL can do. And they will because they're, they're really
3: innovative. They are. And even the NBA has done things like this. And I think it's that really interesting. The takeaway is that yet your ideal fan is engaged in both ways, right? They're a spectator. They're a gamer. They play hockey, someone like me, right? I play hockey. I follow all this kind of stuff, probably like you, but that's only a small proportion of the population, particularly as we get older. So if you can say, well, I've got this fan base that like to play and I got this fan base that like to spectate and have different like they've done, have different strategies for each. And it has worked really well for them. And that group that doesn't play, but follows in other other mediums has grown exponentially the last 30 years.
1: Last topic I want to ask you about is the third period, um, two birds with one stone. So sort of talk a little bit about, you know, when you're in a business situation, the lessons you can learn from the NHL is they see opportunities and it can solve two problems at the same simultaneously. And I think that's one of the things they haven't been given enough credit for is understanding. It's almost like an, an existential, existential flexibility is that they can look at and go, okay, if we don't change things, we don't take advantage of situations, the market's going to do it for us. So we're going to take like that step and recognize we can have that flexibility as well
3: yeah exactly and i mean the the greatest example we mentioned this in the other segment a little bit is and it could have been you know 11 birds one stone was the the massive shift in the collective agreement 2004 and 2005 and a lot it was a very negative time as a fan as owners but you know the the leadership of the nhl knew what they were doing the players association had to buy in at some level and they went through this massive shift lost money lost opportunities but wow the, what had emerged? Like, there would never have been outdoor games if there's no collective bargaining like that. It just would never work. Because, how, why would one team get a game and the other ones wouldn't? Now it's rev shared, right? How could you enable a team to go way out in right field and create a Kraken? Or a Golden Knights and do all these. Or, oh, go, because, to,
1: or go to Europe.
3: or Because like, no, everybody's sharing, right? Everybody's sharing. And all of a sudden you got, and the deals had disappeared. Now you've got a really good TV. The deal, the TV deal in Canada is amazing. The US is now exceptional. Like all these things that weren't there before you talked about it before. The esports, you know, all of a sudden video games, something we're jointly involved with. All these exciting things. So they emerge from these kind of decisions. We also talk a lot of in there about some of the inclusion or the diversity pieces or removing, lessening fighting in the game. Quite a painful decision for some of your hardcore fans. But think of the benefits of like a mom then being comfortable to bring her three kids to the game. Doesn't want to see two guys beat each other you know, up. Now, that's still part of the game a little bit, but they've definitely muted it. They've definitely got rid of the, the larger brawls and stuff, which some hardcore fans, I mean, I like it. Has, it, it bothers but it, it's this this tough decision that then leads to multiple birds right down the road because you're able to do these things and become more of a family experience and you we talked about it before like think about a market like columbus i was a season ticket holder for the blue jackets when we lived in ohio and it was it's a it's a family environment like most of the people go as families right would it have been like that 1970s hockey no, we could debate have been a ga- it. Probably have been a going show. Yeah, probably not. You and I would go, but would we bring our wives and our kids? That's a different decision, right? So yeah, so it's been wonderful, and that's what we said. They've been great at, and and we don't know for certain, for certain, but knowing them, and and you know them, this was not by accident. This was strategy. Planned. How do you make an initiative that may cost you some goodwill and some short-term pain, but multiple long-term benefits? Yeah, that's a huge takeaway from the league. And it's one of the things I
1: laugh at is anytime Gary or Bill say something, they don't float out ideas. These things have been already stra- have done, gone through strategy sessions, and they're pretty much almost 90% done. And they're just sort of like floating it out there so the media can jump on it. But they've done their work. Like they, they are two or three or four or five steps ahead and that's why I think this book is, you know, a great read. And I implore everybody to get, uh, get out there and get it. The business, the NHL way by Dr. Norm O'Reilly and Dr. Rick Burton and, and say congratulations to Rick. Cause I thought you guys did a fabulous job. I'm obviously an avid reader for hockey, but, not very often does the business of hockey get talked about very often. So I really appreciate all your guys' effort. And I look forward to the next one because I know there's going to be another one. (laughs) You guys can't help yourself. (laughs)
3: Thank you, Shane. It's been a pleasure to be on and uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: That's Dr. Norm O'Reilly. We're going to take a short break on hockey prospect. Radio. We'll be back right after these important messages.
0: Welcome back to hockey prospect radio.
1: Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Power Player hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're now back into our regular segment with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach um, in our segment called It's All Mental. Kevin, thanks for coming on the show again. We always appreciate
4: it. Sure. Happy to be here.
1: Well, we're continuing through your great book, Hockey, Grit Grind and Mind. And as we get into chapter two, There's as we continue from the ignition was what we talked about in the last segment last week, Uh, the next section over, I found really fascinating as I read through and I thought about not only myself now, but then I thought about myself as a young man or a teenager and how in some cases, how different that process was. And it's about what do you really want? Um, And I think I find this fascinating and correct me if I'm wrong, but You know, when you're younger, there's you have these dreams and aspirations and you see things that, oh, that's what I really want. And then you what you project on the outside is not necessarily what is really going on internally, which is why, you know, I think your training is so absolutely critical, because I think you need to have those two things aligned. You can't you know, this is what I find young players or young people in general. And I was really not any really any different is that. They're cocky, but not confident. And I guess my view yeah. of cockiness is you have the talent. The talent is there, but you lack uh, the wisdom, the expertise, and the skill to turn that into confidence of actually producing in any situation, regardless of how difficult or the duress that you're under, you can be able to fall back on these other things. And is is that something that when you have this discussion about what you what you really want um, is that part of the equation when you're having the discussions with your clients that are hockey players.
4: Yeah, you know it's funny. We I, I, I'm such a big advocate about passion, right? I think passion is so important, not for just the young player, but for you know pros. Guys have been doing this for a long time because again, when it's hard, when it's difficult, when you're not seeing progress. You know, when things seem to be out of your control, if you don't have that burning passion as a part of your sort of mental makeup, then you're really going to struggle. But guys that have the passion, figure out a way. They just figure out a way, right? So, but what is passion? We, we think about what is passion. Well, I can be really excited about something and really infatuated with what it is, but what what do I want to do with that, right? Where, where do I want to go with that? And I ask people all the time, you know, I'll, I'll be – you know, talking to a young player and they're really excited about this and that. And I'll say, so, but w- what do you want? You know, what do you, what do you want to do? And they're like, you know, looking at me like, uh, um, and they haven't really even thought about it. And so I think the idea is that, you know, and, and we get into this a lot when we get into purpose, you know, in chapter four, that's a big, big topic is purpose. But for the sake of understanding what passion means and how it fuels and how it provides direction. Um, If you don't know what you want, then you can't sort of clarify um, all of the stuff that's going on. The coolest thing about clarity is that it sort of filters out all the noise that's going on around you. And let's face it, we are in a noisy world, right? And when we know what we want, we have this tendency to be able to laser focus on the things that will help us get there. If we don't know what we want, then it's all noise, right? Right. It's, it's imagine that you're in an a old-timey movie, a black-and-white movie, and across the room is a, a, a beautiful girl in a red dress, right? That's what What Do I Want does for sort of our, our, our approach to anything, not just playing hockey, but in anything, is it provides clarity. So that's why I make such a big deal about it is, You've got to know, what do I want with regards to this exciting feeling that I have about this thing called hockey?
5: Kevin, when you're talking about clarity, can you talk about just the internalization uh, and and what that does for basically bolstering clarity? because i find like with with hockey players you you ask them why they play the game uh, some of them will say it just because they love the they love the smell of 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 a rink and the ice surface and how it feels to be on uh, on skates and to be able to uh, you know go to battle with their teammates and, and have a great time others others will say it it is the fame or it is it is a byproduct of of getting to to look up information about them from time to time and, and have people talking about them. You know, sometimes it is a bit of an ego driven move. Can you talk about the difference of clarity between uh, ego states in terms of internalization and, and external motivation?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, ask yes, a lot of guys, you know, why, why do you play hockey? Why, why do you love it so much? And they'll say, Oh my gosh, I just, I love my teammates. You know, I, I love the game. I love the competition and all that. And then, Oh, okay. That's fine. That's sort of a sort of a standard answer, and and I'll say, oh, okay. So that's it. Nothing else. There's really nothing else that you that you're wanting to get out of this. And they're like, oh no, no. I definitely I I want to play college. You know, I want to go junior. I want to I want to make it to the pros. Right. So I say, oh okay. So it's more than just fun, right? It's you, you want to accomplish things. You want to you want to be you know a D1 player. You want to be a major junior player. You want to you know get drafted. Those kinds of things. And like, oh absolutely. And I say, and I think that's sort of Lends itself to what what Shane was saying is that you know inside we that's what we want. We want to be a pro, we want to be d one we want to be major junior, right that's that's what we really want. but then, for whatever reason, when somebody asks, you know why are you doing this and what do you love about hockey, we give them these superficial answers, and that that's weird. I don't, I don't know why we do it. Why don't we just tell them what we really want? Maybe there's a feeling like, you know, I don't want to sound like everybody else. Yeah. I'm going to be the next, you know, Sidney Crosby or, or Connor McDavid. But at the end of the day, I think when, when there is a, when, when those things synchronize, you know, sort of what you really want in your soul and with, you know, what is possible out there in the world, right. In your hockey universe, when those things synchronize that that's when clarity seems to just sort of manifest. That's when clarity, it's that, you know, that, that girl in the red dress across a a black and white um, room. Right. And I think the clarity creates um, a a magnetism and it draws us to uh, what we want. It, It literally, we, we create an energy drawing us towards what we truly truly want by creating clarity. If we, If we neglect the clarity or if we just think, ah, you know, I'll figure it out as we go or, you know, I I know what I want, but I've never really you know, articulated it. Then we allow the noise, you know, all of the noise that's going on in the world to sort of get back in there. And that's, that's okay when everything is fine, because when everything is fine, everything is fine. Right. But when things aren't, Boy, that noise can be really annoying. That, that chatter can be really, really annoying. So clarity is something that I, I want my players to hang their hat on. Tell me what you want. Tell me what your goals are. Tell me where you're going. Tell me what's important to you because that's what's going to draw you towards it. If you don't know that, then you're sort of just you know going to ride the waves and, and they're going to take you wherever they, wherever they take you.
1: Kevin then if you can answer this for me that would be great. How much of that clarity comes to why? Like we know there's the what you do and how you do it, but why are you doing what you do? What's your why? What's your like and is that a large part of like trying to get these players to answer the question of what you really what do you want? Because I think that in in many ways answers why. Well, why are you doing this? Right. Why are you getting up at five o'clock yeah. in the morning to train? Like, cause like yeah. no, like average person is even willing to do that. So like being right. specific about and having the clarity of why.
4: Yeah. So now you're getting into, you know, remember I have five Ps, right? And one of those Ps is purpose, right? Purpose is your why, right? That is, that's the foundation. That's the, the road that you're traveling. If you don't have a why, you know, the why drives everything so you're spot on. I think that is critical. And I, I don't want to sort of give away that before we get to it. But at the end of the day, the why is when you have made a, 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 a declarative statement saying, this is what I want, right? And this is why I want it. And then now you're in tune, you're in sync with the world, and now you go after it. Now there's a bunch of things that go with purpose, right? There's a bunch of pieces, there are goals, there's you know, small goals, big goals, there's activity there's goals and values there's oh my gosh when when we get into that purpose uh chapter it's going to be really fun to sort of dissect all of that but you're spot on with that shane and that is the what do you really want is tied heavily to the why but 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 that why is going to evolve as you evolve as a player so if i were to talk to a pro right? Why, why do you do this? Well, to provide for my family, right? Because this is my paycheck to, you know, see how far I can see where my skills take me and all that, right? I talk to a junior, I say, what's the why? And they say, well, I'm going to make it to the pros, right? So that's their why you talk to a a young person. And it's, it's sort of similar that I want to play, you know, double A, I want to play triple A, I want to, I want to, you know, get into a college. So the why is going to evolve. Um, talk to a beer leaguer and they're going to say, well, why do you play? And they say, because it gets me out of the freaking house, right? It gives me something to do every night. And and that's one of the things that's so interesting, I think, about hockey as a sport and and the people that play hockey. And that is, think about it, you're willing to get up and and start your game at, you know, 1230 at night. And that's that's the drop of the puck, you know, and you got to get up and go to work the next day. But um, anyways, so why is, I think, you know, that's that's there's a lot to that, Shane, and we're going to get into it, but you're exactly right. It is the other side of the what. Thank you.
1: Well, we're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but we're going to continue to speak with Dr. Kevin Willis right after these important messages.
6: Did you know you can open upper deck hockey packs any time of the day from anywhere in the world? Well, if you haven't checked out Upper Deck ePack yet, you're really missing out. Open NHL trading cards from your smartphone, tablet, or computer and conduct trades with other collectors all over the world. These are not just digital cards. You can actually store cards for free on Upper Deck ePack and have them shipped to you for a nominal fee. Check out the new wave of collecting at UpperDeck That's Upper Deck, the letter E, and Pack.com.
7: Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Stats video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics.
1: What does every competitive hockey player, no matter their age or ability level, need from their coaches? They need knowledge that will help them improve in specific areas and they need to know how they're doing. Power player brings clarity to the development process and helps build stronger relationships and trust between coaches, players, and parents. A feedback platform built around performance evaluation system, PowerPlayer helps coaches provide individualized instruction, performance metrics, and ratings. And comments and video directly to players. Visit thepowerplayer.com today and get in the feedback game.
8: Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players.
0: Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back powered by Power Player, the hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach, discussing his book, Hockey Grit, Grind, and Mind. And as we go through chapter two, you know, in the, in the last segment, we talked about what you really want. And this one is what do you really believe? And, and Kevin... The interesting thing about that, the word to me has great significance is what you believe. In many conversations, if you listen to especially the English language, people will use the words think, feel and believe. And they're all three of those words are radically different in terms of the context and how powerful they are and what they truly mean. So what you believe may not be entirely logical. It may not be rational, uh, but it's what you believe, and that really I thought t- ties into our previous conversation about that whole "why." Like, what is your cause? Like, what do you believe, right? Because if someone, you know, plants a flag and they say, "This is what I believe," well, that flag draws other people to you, um, whether you realize it or not, because you you have similar belief systems but also and and people don't go to that flag for that person they go for themselves so mm-hmm. you know in that you know in that you know the statements and questions that, you know I'm asking you is like how like how powerful is that when you that statement of what you believe and then the response back from the players that you know that are your clients from you know young kids you know to 12 13 14 all the way up to the pros and how much does that change in terms of your belief because belief isn't thinking and belief isn't you know unnecessarily always feeling but it is so much more feeling than any than than obviously thinking
4: absolutely you know you you're spot on with all of that I think at the end of the day what we believe sort of colors our world, right? It, it creates our vision of everything that's out there. Um, so, you know, you, when you get into this belief side, you're, you're talking mindset, right? You're talking about, you, you talked about things that being necessarily rational and all that. But at the end of the day, it's, it's really not even conscious. You, you're not even sure why you believe what you believe. You, you might be, but for the most part, we're not. But it's automatic. It immediately filters everything that's going on and then you filter it through those beliefs. Um, And so that's, obviously, you look at that and you say, okay, well, if I'm wearing blue-tinged glasses and I put them on and walk around outside, guess what? Everything's blue. Everything's blue. There's nothing I can see that doesn't have some shade of blue to it, and that's a fact. So when I think about belief, I'm thinking about mindset. I'm thinking about some rules that we have about how the world works, how things are going to occur, how things are going to play out. And so it's important to know, sort of understand what your beliefs are. Again, we're going to get into this in a much deeper level in that in the chapter on perception because we're going to really understand, you know, become more aware of what we think and, and how we feel and how those those two things affect how we behave. And, and that's, well, that's our life. That's Those three things together is our life. But think about something like um, uh, you might have heard of growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. So that's a belief, right? So the idea of a growth mindset is that hard work, commitment, you know, dedication to something will allow me to get better. If I keep working at it, I'll get better. Um, fixed mindset, on the other hand, was is the idea that I was born with a certain level of skill and I'm going to keep working until I get to that max. And then once I reach that max, well, I'm going to play it out for as long as I want to or can, and then at some point I'll, I'll just get shuffled out, right? That's just, That's all I ever got. That was just my dose for that. And, and and I think we all know, we're, you, you, you know, we, we know that hard work will allow us to achieve anything. Um, and so that growth mindset, I think, is, is probably more realistic um, to most of the uh, hockey players out there. But think about what a fixed mindset means as well. You know, if you think I've only got a certain level of skill and, it, and you know, at some point when I'm a 16-year-old playing AAA, uh, and now i want to try to to play um as a you know u17 or something like that but i'm just not very good and oh my gosh i'm not getting any ice time and oh no then if i've got a fixed mindset what are you thinking you're thinking ah shoot i guess i've i guess i've reached the end right i guess i've just maxed out my skill level um versus the the growth guys saying no 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 i'm just going to have to double down i'm going to have to find another coach i'm going to have to do some you know off ice or whatever it is so yeah, I think that's the beginning of it, and there's so, so much more we could talk about, you know, our our ability to see difficulty as, as a threat, you know, as a threat to me and, and what I'm trying to accomplish versus as a challenge, something that a, an opportunity that I get to, to take on, right? So different mindsets, and there that would cause different behavior based on those those beliefs,
5: Kevin, we had Trevor Timmons on earlier, and we were discussing a, a prospect, and Yanni Eikenen, who suffered uh, multiple major knee injuries, and we're here. Here we are talking about uh, belief. I find with a lot of a lot of athletes, uh, belief is easy to maintain and hold uh, when things are going very well. It's another thing entirely. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with multiple knee, uh, reconstructive knee surgeries and you're a young athlete trying to make it, and now you're at a significant disadvantage and you, you might have to change uh, uh, parts, of, uh, uh, parts of what you're doing on the ice with your skating mechanics. Can, can you just talk about how uh, uh, the significance of belief in overcoming adversity so that, uh, that a prospect or player uh, can, can get back on the ice and, and be what they were before their injuries?
4: Yeah, well, and you look at a knee injury, right? What's the most important thing that you need is that belief that when I go hard on that edge, that it's all going to hold right from my hip through my knee to my skate blade, right? It's all going to hold. And if you're coming back from injury, you're not sure, right? You're just not sure. So that belief it's been altered, and so you're going to have to work really hard to get it back. Well, how do you do that? Well, you work it, you work it, you work it, you work it, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, no, it's back. I, I can do this. You know, it's no issues at all. But remember, somebody asks, hey, what is, how much of this game is mental and how much of the game is physical? And I always answer with them, everything starts with the brain, everything, right? So in this situation, their ability to build up the strength and the trust in that 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 leg and that knee is going to be based on repetition, but they could have repetition all day long. If they if they never reach the point where they trust and they believe that that leg's going to hold, well, then they're going to struggle. They're always going to come up. They're going to pull up short. They're not going to give their all. You know, there's a hundred different reasons. And then, you know, go all the way back to the healing part, right? You get injured. Well, you've got a little bit of a, a road to haul, right? So do you believe that you're going to get better and come all the way back? Or do you believe that you're going to be sort of less than when you finally get back on the ice? Again, belief sort of drives everything. Um, and so that's a great, great example of, of how beliefs can affect the trajectory of, of an elite hockey player.
1: Kevin, do you have those conversations with your clients, uh, particularly ones that, you know, if I've gone through injury and you talk about that value of, okay, you know, you're going to have to believe at some point, if you want to get where you want, what do you really want? Like those things Mm -hmm. are so tied at the hip to each other. It's, it's similar. It's kind of like a a quick circle.
4: Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing is, is, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who wants to work with people so that they don't ever have to work with me again. I, I literally want to give them all the tools that they need that they don't need me anymore. Right. It sounds crazy, but That's what I want. So, when I'm working with somebody who's struggling with beliefs, then what I do is I teach them how to be their own best coach. And that's one of my pillars to working with players is to teach them how to be their own best coach. And what I mean by that is. You know, the way if you're if you're you've got a friend and your friend, you know, your teammate, your lineman has just blown out his knee and he's coming back and you go to see him, you know, at the hospital or you see him at his house a week later and he's down, and he's frustrated and he's saying things. And you, as as his friend, as his buddy, are, are trying to talk to him in a way to get him up, right, to get him to believe in himself, to know that, you know, you you've got this, you can come back from this. Don't don't let this take you down. Right. The way that you would talk to your buddy. Well, that's what I want guys to do to themselves. I need them to talk to themselves in a way that is bringing out uh, an ability to, to literally coach themselves, right? So, Because I can't be with you. I can't be with you on the ice. I can't be with you before an important game. So how, how are you going to be able to sort of deal with this if you can't be your own best coach? And so to answer your question, Shane, I think in situations like that, I don't want to give them all the answers. What I want to do is I want to teach them to be their best coach, and I want them to use their experience and their knowledge, and I'm absolutely going to chip in with all that I can offer. But at the end of the day, it's got to be coming from them to them, and, and that's how I have uh, success with the players that I work with.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's been a a great show. Once again, thank you to all our guests and Trevor Timmons from the Montreal Canadiens, Mark Yates, uh, Pat Malloy, as well as Dr. Kevin Willis uh, for, for myself, Shane Malloy and for Brad Allen's, but another edition of hockey prospect radio. And we will see you at the rink.
6: Did you know you can open upper deck hockey packs any time of the day from anywhere in the world? Well, if you haven't checked out Upper Deck ePack yet, you're really missing out. Open NHL trading cards from your smartphone, tablet, or computer and conduct trades with other collectors all over the world. These are not just digital cards. You can actually store cards for free on Upper Deck ePack and have them shipped to you for a nominal fee. Check out the new wave of collecting at UpperDeckEPack.com. That's Upper Deck, the letter E, and Pack.com.
7: Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics.
1: What does every competitive hockey player, no matter their age or ability level, need from their coaches? They need knowledge that will help them improve in specific areas and they need to know how they're doing. PowerPlayer brings clarity to the development process and helps build stronger relationships and trust between coaches, players, and parents. A feedback platform built around performance evaluation system, PowerPlayer helps coaches provide individualized instruction, performance metrics, and ratings, and comments and video directly to players. Visit thepowerplayer.com today and get in the feedback game.
8: Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players.